It's good to be back together again. It's looking forward to this. Uh, we're in Genesis 18 again this morning. Although we weren't in Genesis last week, technically we were, and I think it was a good, a good segue back into what we're going to study this morning because we're getting into an area that's, I'm not going to say not fun, but it's not like, it's not cheery. God's judgment is about to come again and uh, on an area, and uh, it's never a joy to talk about God's judgment coming. And if someone finds a lot of pleasure in talking about God's judgment coming, I mean, I'm excited for the rapture, I'm excited for the end times in a sense that means Jesus is coming, but I'm not excited for what it means for people and for the world and for their lives. I'm excited for what it means for the end of sin and the end of suffering, but I'm not excited and I'm not joyous. I mean, uh, there is a sense of justice, I think, when I think about judgment, God's judgment coming. Um, like, ah, oh, yeah, finally, good, judgment's coming. You know, things will be made right, but, man, I'm not joyous when judgment comes. You know, it's, you hear about someone going to jail or getting their just dues, and you're like, good, justice is served, but when you really consider that person, no matter how wicked they are, you go, oh, what a tragedy that is in their life that this is where they are. Uh, but I had two sort of titles for today's message in Genesis 18. We're going to look at 16 through 33. One was, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? But then also, I, I don't know, I couldn't tell which one was me, but the other one was, the Lord said, if I find. The Lord said, if I find. I think both are sort of important here today. But obviously we're back in our study of Genesis, God and man. And we're looking at God and his relationship with man. And man's either relationship with the Lord or obviously not. We've seen a lot through that. We've seen creation. We've seen God's provision. We've seen sin and judgment, mercy and grace. But I think we've seen that over and over again. Whether it's Adam and Eve, they were created. And then there was sin. And then God provided for them again. And then Cain killed Abel. And yet God was merciful with Cain and didn't put him to death. And yet God created again. He brought Seth to bring that line. And then there was Noah and judgment came and God created grace. And then the new world again came back and there was creation again in a sense. Um, and then there's Abraham's life over and over. We see God's mercy and judgment and grace and then given new opportunities for him. And with that, no matter what we've done, no matter what the consequence is, when God does bring judgment, he doesn't love it. Sometimes we think that God is ready and just wanting to bring judgment to us. Maybe we've had that experience with the law or we've had that experience with um, our own parents, perhaps. Uh, but if we remember, he was grieved before the flood. Like God was grieved that he made man. He wasn't necessarily angry. He didn't hate man. He was grieved. He was deeply hurt and bothered by their sin. I think it would be good to remember Ezekiel 33, verse 11, that says, Saying to them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn away, turn, excuse me, from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 33, 11. God does not enjoy destroying the wicked. You and I might think that, yeah, destroying the wicked is good. You know, sometimes you see a military movie and, you know, and they go and they get the bad guys. You're like, yeah, get some, you know, like bring the judgment. This is good. But God does not enjoy destroying the wicked. He will. And he will not, you know, put his trigger on safe, so to speak. He will bring that judgment without a hesitation like a good warrior. 
but he does not enjoy it in the sense that you and I might enjoy it in a carnal way. Because when judgment does come, God is intimate with it. He's not sitting back flying a drone and dropping a bomb somewhere and it feels like a video game. He's intimate. He is there. He is present. And I think the greatest example, I know the greatest example, is at the cross. When God brought judgment upon mankind, he brought it upon himself, his very son, at the cross. A lot of times we think of Revelation and the end times is God's judgment on man. But that's really God's judgment on sin, on those who did not accept his judgment. His judgment for man was forgiveness. His decree was salvation. But other than that, all that's left is, is judgment because God did not want people to be judged. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. But there's only one thing left if we reject that. That's judgment. Because when God judges, it is just because he is just. You know, they say justice is blind. There's that old uh, idea of the lady justice and she's got a blindfold. She's holding the two weights because she's not looking at man's stature or position in life or what he has or what he doesn't have. Just looking at the facts and what is right and what is wrong and what is just and what is unjust. Um, and I, I think that's a good picture to have. However, when we look at modern man or even man in the past, we see that our judgment is farthest from that. It is, oh, you have money? You've got a better lawyer? You've paid us off? You've taken us out on the tarmac and promised us a deal for when the election is over? Judgment is not just anymore, if it ever was. It's at least further along the, you know, maybe it was closer in the past, but it's not anymore. But with that, let us not attribute man's perverseness and judgment to the holy God who makes holy judgments. A lot of times the world judges God because they don't like his judgments, because they are in sin. I think anyone who is a criminal or doing a crime is not going to like the judge. We see some of these people who really hate the police and really hate the judges. Well, let's pause for a minute and let's look at your personal life. Are you hiding something in your pocket right there when you get pulled over? Have mm-hmm. uh, you were doing a crime last night? Why are you in jail? Granted, some people are in jail for wrong reasons or, you know, being caught for a crime they didn't, you know, they didn't commit, so to speak. But I think if you ask most people in jail, they would say that. And I don't think that that's the case for most people. I think it's that they wanted to do what they wanted to do, his way, like I would say. And they ended up receiving judgment. So they hate the person who puts them there. Or they think, the per- you know, they blame the judge or the officer for putting them in jail, but the real person who put them there was themselves because, you know, if you've done nothing wrong, when I get pulled over, if I haven't done anything wrong, if I haven't been speeding, I don't have anything to worry about. But if I've been speeding and I got pulled over, you know, I'd be a little, hey, how you doing? <laughs> but God, this morning again, as we get into your word, just speak to us by it, God. You've given us to it. You're the one who can, who can meet it out in our lives. So do that, we pray, by your spirit, God. And uh, God, when judgment does come, let us be ready for it. And let us warn others. And may others come to know you that they might miss the judgment and receive your grace, God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read Genesis 18, verse 16. And we'll read 16 through 22. It says, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. 
And Abraham went with them. To refresh you, Abraham, um, God and two angels showed up to Abraham and Sarah and promised the son, and they had lunch, and they were talking, and now the, the lunch is over. Uh, so, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, and Abraham still stood before the Lord. You know, the men and the two angels of the Lord, you know, that again, that this was the form they were in. They were, appeared as men, that this was a Christophany, and that these angels appeared to be men. As we read in the Bible, we see uh, in Hebrews 13, too, you know, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. That We see that not all the time an angel shows up in the Bible, that they're a cherubim, they've got four wings and eyes, and they're crying, holy, holy. Sometimes they look like a man, like a person. You know, that uh, it says that the men appeared to them in Acts after Jesus appeared, but they were angels. Um, you know, that there's a, a truth and a reality to this, that there is a spiritual wor- world amongst us that we're not always aware of. You know, that homeless guy, God bless you, might just be a homeless guy, or it could be an angel in disguise. And I don't want to get too deep into it, but there's all these wild conspiracy theories about these creatures that look like human, and then sometimes they get a glimpse. I've heard stories of uh, rock stars who have been involved in things, and then he says, the, the appearance of this person changed right before me, and I haven't been the same since. You know, that there are these things that people will attribute to uh, creatures from another world or another planet, and some of them are fantastical, and some of them are strange. I don't want to dwell on it, but they have their roots in reality, that there are fallen angels among us, there are holy angels among us. And they're not always going to look the way they, they think. You know, the, the Bible also says that, the, uh, that uh, the, the enemy will disguise himself as a minister of light. That a lot of times people think, oh, I've been showed up to. Like, uh, who is the guy? Joseph Smith, right? Where the angel shows up to him, Moroni. I mean, the fact that this angel's name is Moron. I, is beyond me, but, you know, you have to be a moron to believe him, but, you know, that he's, it's just crazy. People have all these things, but sincerely, God and two angels showed up to Abraham, and they were there for a reason, and Abraham being a good host and a friend, he goes with them to show them out. You know, sometimes when I have friends over, I go with them because I'm taking the trash out, not actually because I'm a good host, but you always show them to the door, you know, you don't say, let the door hit you. Let the door. Let, don't let the the good Lord switches, they say, you know, like, don't let the Lord get you on the way out, like, you show them out, because you care about them, you want to say goodbye, you know, as we say, you know, we always have, it takes forever to leave church, or to leave a friend's house, because you get up to leave, and then you talk, and you get your shoes on, and you get talking, and then you head out the door, and then you start talking, and it just keeps going and going, because you want to, and, the, and that's Abraham here, he doesn't want this to be over, he wants to keep talking, and I think because, partly, obviously, because it's the Lord, who wouldn't want to keep talking to him, but because of what we're about to see. Because there's something else on Abraham's heart that he hasn't yet had a chance to speak to the Lord about. You know, he's like, Lord, why, why are you here? You know, why are you here? You know, there's this hospitality and he desires more fellowship with them. 
And I know Abraham needed and wanted it because I know I need it. And I want it. I know what it's like to kind of live out in a desert tent and some other believers show up and you want to hang out and talk to them for a while. And it's only Eve. <laughs> Please hang out. <laughs> Come on. I know it's late. <laughs> I know you have to drive to work and I don't, but just hang out a little while longer. Let's finish this game of settlers. <laughs> but as they're headed out, you know, uh, let me step back and say, do we get enough fellowship with the Lord and his servants? Sometimes maybe we spend enough time with the Lord, but we don't spend enough time with the servants. So we spend some time with the servants, but not enough time with the Lord. You know, we need time with both. But as they're headed out, I do like that Genesis gives us a glimpse into what God is thinking. Uh, perhaps he's saying it to the angels. Uh, perhaps he's thinking it himself. I lean more towards that where it says that God says here, because I don't think it would make so much sense for him to say this to Abraham. And then says what he says to Abraham. I think of it like in the beginning. Uh, is it Adam, you know, is it good for Adam to be alone? Or uh, when he looks at uh, Babel and the God talks to himself and begins to head down there, I think that's the same sort of thing here. We see a bit of uh, the Godhead uh, working. But he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Abraham really had no clue why God was down there. And God hadn't mentioned it. They just talked about Abraham and Sarah and the child to come. But there's no mention of what we have here until here. And God could have hidden it from him, but God didn't want to. You know, like we know in John 15, 15, it says that a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. You know, that this is evidence that God is friends with Abraham because Abraham had no idea. He was just showing him out. He just wanted some more time with them, perhaps. Maybe he had more things to say. But God didn't have to tell him anything, and yet God still shared with him. And I think that that's a deep thing, is that God does not have to share anything with your eye and yet he does. You know, it says if God would be hidden, who could find him? But I love how it says here, basically, that, you know, shall I hide from Abraham because of all these things? You know, because the matter was a big deal for the region, and God was going to make Abraham a big deal in the region. For God to hide what, it, what was about to happen, perhaps, in Sodom and Gomorrah, from the man who he was giving the entire region to, would be kind of funny, you know, like, if your boss says you're getting a promotion and, you know, you, he's given you a title and then you're never in any of the board meetings or you're never in any of the deeper discussions about hirings, other things that, you know, your title or your position would uh, necessitate, you might begin to wonder, what is this title he's really given me? Do I really have the position and authority in this job that, you know, uh, he says I do? But God was going to make Abraham a big deal in the region that all the nations in the earth shall be blessed by him. What a statement. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by Abraham, so why am I going to hide anything from him? You know, this is Abraham. This is my boy. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to bring him into the loop here. You know, just like us. You know, that I, I told people at work, we're moving. I shared on Instagram, even though I'm not really on Instagram that much. Because I don't want anyone to feel kind of out of the loop for a big piece of news. You know, like us moving to Montana. You know, oops, hey, you know, we're in Montana. What? You didn't tell me? You could be offended by that, and rightly so, because even if we don't talk much, because friends share big news with other friends. You know, oh, by the way, we're having a baby tomorrow. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, kind of big news. But he says, all the nations in the earth shall be blessed by him. Not just the region, but everybody, all the nations. Israel, Iran, Syria, 
North Korea, South Korea, Vietnam, America, England, Guatemala, Cuba, the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, ancient Babylon, all of the nations in the world are blessed by Abraham, whether you know it or not. Ultimately, because Jesus the Messiah would come from Abraham's lineage. You know, the word of God would be passed down through Abraham's descendants, the Israelites. His descendants as a nation would be light of the world until the light of the world came. That Abraham's people would be the evidence to the world that God is real. They'd be the example. They'd be the, the conduit for God's uh, voice and for God's message. Galatians 7, 9 and four, 7 through, 3, 7 through 9 and 14 say, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's all nations, not just the Israelites, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That not just the Israelites, but all people could be blessed by coming to faith through what came through Abraham's lineage, what came by Abraham's faith, ultimately in Jesus. And I love this too. The Lord goes on in verse 19. He says, For I have known him, the reason that God has drawn close to Abraham is that Abraham may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. That God wants to draw near to Abraham, that the promise ultimately to Abraham would be fulfilled. And the way it gets fulfilled is by God drawing near to Abraham, Abraham drawing near to God, and Abraham obeying the commandments of God. The only way Abraham was going to receive these promises of God was by following righteously, by following justicely, by following what God had spoken. That's the same thing in our lives. A lot of times we expect the blessings of God when we haven't obeyed the commands of God. And a lot of times we try and say that because, oh, well, I don't need the commandments to be saved. Correct. You need grace and forgiveness and the cross to be saved. But inherit, to inherit the kingdom of God, you need to obey the commands of God. The scripture is clear that no man will inherit the kingdom of God if he continues in sin. Now, a lot of times we view that as a harsh judgment. Why should I have to obey to get the blessings? We disconnect all our rationality from the real world and when we come to the spiritual sometimes. And we think, why should I, why, you know, if we go to work, if we don't do the job, do we expect to get paid? Well, nowadays you do. They expect minimum income. You know, you can just, the other day I'm like, I don't really feel like going to work. Maybe minimum income is a good idea. I can just sit on the couch and someone else will pay. No, that's not a good idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea because you're a slave and you're in control and really where does the money come from? But the point is, is that, you know, man, we do a work, we want to get paid. We file our taxes, we want that refund. But then when it comes to spiritual things, we say, oh, I didn't file my spiritual taxes, but I want my spiritual refund doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. And it's not a tough judgment. Because you know what? Obeying God's commandments is not a harsh thing. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And when we do the right thing, it might be hard morally. It might be hard socioeconomically to do the right thing sometimes. But there's always a bigger blessing in it than by disobeying it. It's always better to get the refund than to get the audit. You know, to, to do the work of the taxes is worth it. Because you don't want the IRS man knocking on your door. You know, I get these spam calls. You know, I don't know if you've gotten them, but, uh, you know, 
IRS. You know, it's like this really bad robot voice. The English is bad. You know, it's from some strange number about the IRS, you know, wanting to sue you or something. And it's, you know, but they get people to fall for it. You know, they get people to fall for it. Um, but anyway, the point of God's relationship with Abraham was bigger than just Abraham. It was for Abraham. It was for his immediate family. It was for his descendants. It was for the region. It was for the world. And truthfully, it was for all of history and all of eternity. Because like, Abraham, this one guy, God blesses, and oh, throughout history it blooms into this thing where everything comes through. And it's not unique. The same goes for you. The same goes for me. God's plan is for you, and it's big, but it's bigger than just you. It's bigger than just me. It's bigger than just our jobs. It's bigger than just our families, as big as they are and as important as they are in our lives. It's something that impacts all of eternity. The decisions you and I make affect those around us and can affect them for eternity. Now, it's up to them to make the choice whether we've done the right thing or not. Is really the onus is on us to do the right thing, but even if we don't, it's still on them. But sincerely, there, there's some weight there. That, you know, if I don't live my life right, I don't follow the Lord, and then my kids end up not following the Lord, well, that's their choice, but man, I had a hand in that. I don't want that. I want them to have a good example. You know, I was reading this morning a devotional, and it was, they, I forget what the quote was, but they were quoting somebody from, I think, this, you know, Time Past. And he has a quote in there all the time from Time Past, and I forget, forgive me for not remembering it, but it kind of hit me. Are there going to be any quotes from my life in a book? Not that I need that, but sincerely, there's a lot of people who get quoted for being godly. A lot of people who get quoted for being ungodly and get fame for it. But at the end of our days, man, like, is there going to be any record of our righteousness? Not that we need it for salvation, but sincerely, if we're being most effective, I hope that there's a mark. I hope that there's a, oh, you know, they dig up my, you know, they open a drawer after I'm dead and they find a Bible or something or a journal or something or they can ask somebody in my life that would know. I don't need to be in a book, but I, I, I kind of want to be quoted. Not for me, but to say, oh man, I actually did something in my life. I actually did something worthwhile for eternity in my life. And maybe the quote in the book's not, not it. Maybe it'll be something else. But sincerely, I don't know. You know, what do we put our hands to? And is it sincerely worth it in the end? You know, I'm just like, Lord, like, can I just work for you? I, I just, none of this stuff is worth it anymore. It's just, I just, it's hard to find the motivation sometimes because, yeah, it's good. And I enjoy my coworkers and my job. And I'm glad to have a job. And it's a good job. And I'm glad we have money to pay for things. But sometimes it's just like 40 years from now. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a struggle. You know, there's, it's a struggle. I'm not saying I'm going to quit or anything, but. You know what I mean. You know, there's saying, you know, make sure that uh, you like the job you're in or you're doing what you want to do because you spend most of your life doing it. And I think that's just really the heart I'm trying to get across that, man. There's something that's most important. I want to make sure I'm doing that. And, and that can be working in the world your whole life and being a good example. That's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're supposed to do. But verse 20, this is why God was walking on earth. Um, where he was going when he stopped by Abraham's house. Uh, because there was an outcry against 
Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. God's up in heaven. God hears an outcry. A complaint is brought before him. Uh, a crying, a grieving is brought before him. And it's so bad, it's so hideous, God goes for himself. God gets up, turns off his spiritual TV news report, and goes down and wants to see for himself. You know, there's times when I'm downstairs at work and I hear a commotion upstairs. And I can let it go. And there's other times I hear a commotion upstairs and I have to go see for myself what it's all about. I love what God says, you know, I will know that God's not going to be tricked here. When God shows up, they're not going to clean up Sodom and Gomorrah real quick. Oh, God is here. He's that secret shopper. They're going to have no idea. He's coming in with a couple of guys. He's going to look like any other traveler. And they're not going to have any idea. But it says the outcry against Sodom. And that reminds me of the blood of Abel and the ground crying out. The blood of your brother cries out from the ground that it's spilled on. Cain? You know, God doesn't take the outcry lightly. He doesn't just take the complaint either. He doesn't, ah, it's nothing. I'm not going to worry about it. He doesn't just take the complaint and then, you know, press the button and nuclear (laughs) bombs go off. He gets up. He's serious about it. Because it's when it's leading to the grave, God has to step in and see for himself. Again, just like the cross. God had to step in himself. You know, like the president gets a morning report from his intelligence team. You know, they all get together. They give him a briefing. Um, But when that's not enough, the president's got to go and he's got to go meet with an ambassador, make a phone call, do something when it's serious. And 1 John 5, 16, I'm sure we shared this before, but it says, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, meaning he will pray, and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should pray about that. And I think most of the time it's okay, and I'm sure we've said this before, but just to pray about something we hear or see affecting someone else. Sometimes, oh, you know, a, a brother's having a bad day, or... They're not getting along with their spouse, you know, that time, you know, you just, oh, Lord, bless them today. You know, I've been there, you know. You don't just, every time something goes on, brother, what are you doing? It's not, you know, we'd be at our throats all the the time. It wouldn't do any good. But sometimes when it's so grave, we got to get up off our prayer, whatever, and go do something about it. Hey, how's it going? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Not in the spirit of, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? God's judgment. No, but, man, God's judgment, bro. Like, you got to stop. Like, it's hurting you. It's hurting your family. It's hurting your kids. Whatever it is. And sometimes it's so grave that even a prayer or action can't reverse it. That sometimes judgment is coming no matter what you do. You tell them to repent, they're still going to jail. They're still going to die of that overdose. I read uh, at work, they were all talking about this DJ who died, I guess he's like in his late 20s, of pancreatitis. And, you know, they make it sound like, oh, you have this disease and pancreatitis. It is what it is. But it's caused by drinking too much. It's caused by drinking so much that your organs shut down. It's a tragedy. I'm not trying to make light of it. It's sad that this talented person who had everything in the world, made the most money, died so young. But they weren't happy. 
It wasn't disease. It was judgment in his life. Not God judging him, but the effects of a life lived that way. And judgment was coming to Sodom and Gomorrah from Jesus himself. He was going to go down there and he was going to call on the airstrike if it was bad. And he's going to have to stomp out that wildfire of sin before it spreads. God can't let it happen. Sodom is a city. Gomorrah is a city. They've gotten together. They've caused this ruckus. It's obviously known. The outcry is against them. Their sin is spreading the whole world. And God has to stop that before it affects everything. You know, sin begins to spread. It's like yeast, it, it spreads. You know, they have these wildfire issues in the West where they, they've changed the laws and you can't log and all these other things. But it's caused the forest to be overgrown. And so now when wildfires happen, they also have this policy of just let it happen and just kind of try and contain it because it's natural. Well, it's not, it is natural, but you can do something about it. It's affecting a lot of things. That's the same thing here. It's affecting them. It's going out. It's going to affect more people if he doesn't stop it. You think about America and the influence that our nation has on the world and the sin that happens here and how that goes out in the world. Our dependence on drugs fuels a lot of this crime in South America. Not that they're not responsible for their choices, but it's like we're giving them a market. We're giving them opportunity. The things that we create in Hollywood and other places on the Internet and it goes everywhere... Let's look at what Jesus says when people reject the gospel. In Matthew eleven twenty one through 24, you guys have probably heard this a million times. It says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it would be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Jesus is saying, that, hey guys, I'm doing miracles among you. The Messiah is walking around. The gospel is going out and you're rejecting it. And you guys think Sodom and Gomorrah was wicked. They would have repented. Like when Jonah went to Nineveh, he didn't want them to repent because he knew that God would be merciful to them. And they were a wicked society. But when the word of God came to them, even the king repented. He told everyone to repent. He's like, everyone, cut it out. We have to repent. A wicked, pagan nation in the Old Testament. But Sodom and Gomorrah would receive an awful earthly judgment, as we'll find out in a couple chapters. But Jesus is saying here, the eternal judgment is far worse. That Sodom and Gomorrah is going to go, hey, we had it easy. You guys are getting it worse. And that's what God does. God will allow physical judgment to happen in the world and in our lives to get our attention. To try and stop us from getting eternal judgment. Because temporal judgment happens and then you know you do your time and it's over or you suffer the consequences, but you still have a chance to repent. You still have a chance for eternity. Because eternal judgment is worse. It's forever. It's eternal. And I love what Jesus says. He says, you know, if I go down there, you know, and if it's not as it's been said to me, I will know. I will know that all things are obvious to the Lord. You know, Luke 8.17 says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Hebrews 4.13 And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When it comes time to bear records to Jesus, when it comes time to pay the piper, so to speak, he sees. He's not blind. He knows exactly what's in our hand. 
You know, Ananias and Sapphira, they claim they had all this going on. And, and Peter says, you lied to God, not to man. Numbers 32.23, if you do not do so, take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Other people may not know your sin, but when you come before God, it'll be obvious. But it says the men continue. The angels keep going on, heading on their way. They get back on the highway. But the Lord hang, hangs back a little bit to talk with Abraham. And I believe God in his omniscience knew that Abraham was going to ask. I mean, it's the Lord. But he also cares about Abraham's heart. He cares about Abraham's concerns. He cares about having a relationship with Abraham. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Not because Abraham is perfect, but because Abraham wants to know the one that is perfect. And that's the mystery of our relationship with the Lord, I think. And somehow, our intercessory prayer has an active role in eternal things. Somehow, our wanting to pray, desiring to pray, and actually praying, God will hang back a little bit and talk with us a little bit and hear us out and hear our cry, hear our concern. Even though our vision is temporal, even though we don't have all the facts, God still wants to act through our prayer. Sometimes it feels like, oh, why do I even pray? God knows everything. God's going to do what he wants. Why should I pray? Well, God wants you to pray. God wants to be a part of what you're doing. And God may even forestall judgment a little bit if you pray. There might be grace in that person's life instead of judgment if you pray. Maybe they won't go to jail for as long as they would otherwise. Maybe they won't be as financially in trouble. Maybe they will get a job a little bit sooner. You know? I don't know how that works. But it does. Because the truth is, in some way, I believe, our prayers are an echo of God's will to act. We know God desires to heal. We know God desires to bless. We know God desires to forgive. Well, have we prayed for it to happen? God wants to do it, but he wants to do it through us sometimes. And not that God's not going to find another avenue to do it without you and I. We're not holding up God, preventing God in some way. But in other ways, maybe that person needs you to pray for them because they're not praying. Job prayed for his kids. God, I offer this sacrifice to you. Cover their sins because maybe they're, they've forgotten to. God honors that. Because he's holy. He's just. And he prefers mercy over judgment. Let's go on. Verse 23 through the end. It says, And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom... 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose that there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there are 45, I will not destroy it. And, and Abraham, spoke to him, Abraham spoke to him again, yet again, and said, Suppose there should be 40 found there. So God said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. 
Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. And so he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak well once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So then Abraham came near. And, you know, I think of him leaning in like John at the Last Supper. You know, maybe he's still got that little Abraham, Middle Eastern culture vibe. Hey, Lord, hey, you know, leaving it in to make a deal. I don't know totally what the, the context is here. I believe Abraham's a little more mature at this point, and it's a little more heartfelt. It's still a little bit of bargaining, but I think it's, it's still a little more heartfelt and, and, and penitent. But he says, Lord, would you? It's not like you to do this. Would you? Would you? You know, maybe, I believe Lot was on Abraham's heart. Abraham, I'm sure, heard all the outcry against Sodom, maybe even from Lot. You know, maybe Abraham had, had drudge report, and he saw all the things that were going on in Sodom, and he grieved them. But he knew his, his nephew, Lot, was there, the one he had rescued previously, who he didn't pay tithes to the king of Sodom. He knew what was going on down there. But who do we know who is living in a place where judgment is coming. You know, I read the other day that Russia is telling its people in England to get out. They told their people in North Korea to get out. You know, that's kind of a threat. Like, we're pulling our people out and you're sailing warships by England. You know, that's a threat to, to England and to Europe. You know, if we knew someone in a war zone, you know, if you're in the FBI or the military and you know something's happening, you kind of call them and tell them to get out. You know, we watched this, some movie about a virus spreading and someone in the CDC, they calls their loved one, don't tell anyone, but you need to get out. Go visit your aunt in the city because they know something is coming, but they can't create a panic so they can't tell everyone. I think we would do the same thing. You know, if I knew New Jersey was going to be overrun by wild bison or something, you know, something crazy, I would say, Mama, get out of New Jersey. I know you like it, but get in that Jeep and come over. You know, get out, get away. Second Peter 4, uh, 2, 4 through 9, I'm just going to read part of it. It says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to, uh, to destruction, making them an example to those afterward who would live ungodly. God did this for an example. But he delivered righteous Lot. It's funny, we're going to read and we're going to go, Righteous, really? But the New Testament calls him righteous, who was oppressed because of the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his soul, righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Why did he stay there? I don't know. I'd say maybe that was unrighteousness that kept him in there, but it bothered him at least. He was in it, but he wasn't enjoying it. He's like, oh, you know, like, come on. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And it bothered Lot even to be in it. And again, if we know someone who's in a, living in a place where judgment is coming, what about a spiritual place of judgment that they're living in? A sinful life. Maybe they're going down a sinful path. Maybe they're putting their job, their family, their life, their relationship with the Lord in jeopardy. Maybe it is vexing them. Maybe it isn't. But do we warn them? Do we intercede for them? God, would you? It's not like you to destroy your people, would you? 
Would you? And like Abraham, we must intercede directly to the Lord for them by drawing near to the Lord and asking Him. And Abraham, again, starts with a little bit of his bargaining, doing only knows what he knows how to do in a little way. And that's okay. Because how often do we ask God for something more than reasonable just to get to our one main request? You know, bad example, but let's say you need $10,000. You go, Lord, can I have $500, Lord? What about 1000 You know, trying to slowly get him to where you're at. Just come before and say, God, I need $10,000. You know, you got all the money in the world. Can you just come through for me in this? And God will say, sure. <laughs> here's, a, here's a job. <laughs> you know? The Lord, that's going to take... Well, it is, but from my perspective, that's $10,000. It just came to you in lump, pay, you know, little payments, settlements over time. But sincerely, you know, his small request wasn't, it wasn't enough for Abraham. When Abraham didn't just get to the point, and maybe Abraham's more spiritual than I'm taking it to be. Maybe he does care and, and think and hope that there's 50 righteous in the city. But I think also in some sense it wasn't enough. It didn't answer the question in his heart because I think maybe on the same, same note, Abraham knew there wasn't 50 righteous. Abraham knew that maybe, maybe Lot was somewhat righteous. I don't know. He just loved Lot. Please, Lord, just Lot. You know, he had to make a bigger case because he thought maybe the case of just Lot, his own personal attachment to Lot, his own personal care for Lot, maybe he thought it wasn't going to be enough. But Abraham knew the attributes of God that God would not destroy the righteous. You know, like Romans 11, you know, it says, Lord, they have killed your prophets and tore down your altars, and I alone am left. He's talking about Elijah. And they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him, Paul says? He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. That Abraham knew that God would, would, would forestall judgment if there's righteous in the land. Just like Elijah was like, God, I'm the only one. And God's like, there's plenty more. There's still righteous here. And when we pray, it's important to understand that heart of God. I think it will help us, I know it will help us direct our requests aright. That of course God wants to heal, like I said. Of course he wants to bless you know, but it doesn't always look like the way we want it to look or the way we think it's going to look, but we still need to ask for it. God, please heal so-and-so. Maybe God will divinely heal him. Maybe God will bring medicine. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe God will use both. I don't know. Maybe the healing will be spiritual healing and not physical. I don't know. But Abraham starts at 50, but there weren't 50 righteous. You know, I think God's already kind of hinting that. He goes, if I find... You know, like, if I find, yeah, sure I will. But also, yeah, if I find, you know, 50 righteous. But will God find 50 righteous on the earth when he returns? You know, it talks about will there be faith on the earth when God returns? I don't know. Abraham got an answer, but he, he's got to keep praying here because his heart isn't satisfied, like we talked about with this broad request. But he knows approaching the king is a serious matter. Like Esther, she knew that if she just approached the king uninvited, she could be killed. And Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2 says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. And what's his house? A house of prayer, right? And draw near to hear rather than to give your sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. You know, all these puffed up prayers, repetitions, it's, it's evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth, therefore let your words be few. Sometimes we need to pray a lot. 
But sometimes we should pray a little. We don't always need a 10-minute prayer. Sometimes it can be a 30-second prayer. And if it's to the point, it's good. 45, destroy for a lack of five. Lord, he's like, what about five less? You know, five's not a big deal. It's just, you know, they're real close. 45, 50, what about that, Lord? What about a little bit less, Lord? Please do it. The same answer, if I find, I will not destroy. I think that's great that we see the effect of a few righteous upon an utterly wicked city. God says, even just for a handful of righteous in a city of 10,000, 100,000, a million, whatever the population was, it had an effect. You know, our influence as believers might seem like just a little, might seem like just 45, or non-existent even, especially in these last days, you read the news, see what the, world, the, the heart of the world is. You wonder, do we even have an effect at all? Am I even having an influence at all in the world? Or in my job, or in my family? But the world's blind. I think sometimes we expect to look to the world to see the measure of our influence on them, and we're not going to see that because they're blind or uh, unresponsive to it. It doesn't mean that, that they don't, aren't affected by it, though. Because God sees our influence, and he's the one we should really look to to make sure our influence is correct. And absolutely, God prevents judgment from coming because of it, because of us as believers. God hasn't brought judgment because we're still here on the earth. 40, if I find, I will not. 30, if I find, I will not. 20, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. I think maybe God is letting on here the truth that he knows he's not going to find 20. He's like, if I find 20, I'm not going to do it, Abraham. I'm not going to find 20. The city is wicked. I don't care what the world thinks about them. They're wicked. I think about my kids asking the same question over and over sometimes. You know, the first time I might give them like a very gentle and nice, and then by time 20, I'm like, no, we're not going home. <laughs> you know, you know it, sometimes you just have to get straight to the point here. And that's what God is doing here, I believe. You know, 10, the last time, 10. Abram, I will not destroy it for 10. That's it. God says, he's done talking with Abraham now. Just like before, you know, God was done talking, he gets up and he leaves. God's done here. He says, Abram, don't ask me for less because I've got to judge the city. And how many thousands and millions of people on Sodom and Gomorrah God would have spared if just a few more people had been righteous? A few more people had not bent the knee to Baal, so to speak. And with the Lord, there is no need for mega numbers to do a mega saving work. Big numbers are not important. They can be good. I'm glad to see a church that grows, like Grace Community growing and campuses. Praise God, more people are hearing the gospel. Praise God, it's working. But God doesn't need that. God doesn't need a projector. God doesn't need a big tithe box. He just needs a few righteous. I mean, that's all we see throughout the scripture. A few righteous. Whole army. David shows up. But being righteous, being holy, being full of faith, is what God wants. Is what God will use. Not big numbers but big holiness. If we don't value being holy, whether we're small or big, God can't use it. If we value being holy, small or big, God will use it. 
God is not going to use the unfruitful works of darkness. God is not going to use a compromising church. God is not going to use a compromising pastor or message. People may flock to it. Itching ears may want it. It may look good to the world. But God is not in it. How can a holy God dwell in an unholy place? Now, it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It doesn't mean we're going to do everything right. It doesn't mean that God's going to withdraw his hand from us the minute we mess up. But if the path, if the course, if the heart is wicked, God's, no, God's not there. James 1, 26, 27, we're going to close here in a minute. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is as to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That we need to minister to the hurting. If a church is just a church and it's not ministering, obviously the word has to be there then. I think it's lost. You know, we must be pure in these last days. We must not give in to the ways of the world or even sometimes to the ways of the church. But we must stay true to God and his word and his commands. Just like the promise to Abram would come by God drawing near and causing Abraham to obey God's commands. must be the same with us. And it's not just our faith that rests upon us. It could be the entire nations. It could be the entire world. Look at the last day's church, Laodicea, a lukewarm church. God says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot or cold so I could do something with you. I could bring you to repentance or I could use you for righteousness, but you're neither. I'm going to vomit you out and the whole world is going to go through judgment. But the church before that, Philadelphian church, he takes them out. Billy Graham, as we famously heard, God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology if he does not judge America. Well, God's judgment, as we read in Romans, starts with abandonment judgment. And America is split in two. The entire world is bursting at the seams. World War III is at a moment's notice. We look at the Middle East, it's lined up exactly as Scripture foretold it would be thousands of years ago. Millions of people are slaughtered in the last century from national socialism. That's Nazism, guys. Communism. Dictatorship. Millions of people. The bloodiest century in all of history. Millions of babies have been slaughtered. Millions of little boys and girls abused and put into perverse slavery. God has been removed. We see the rise of Islam and terrorism. We see the rise of people just losing their minds and atheists shooting people in schools. That's a sign of God's abandonment judgment. How often did God bring Israel's enemies into their land to drag them off into captivity when they were sinful too long, when they did not repent? What is happening to the West? The West has rejected God. The West's enemies, Islam hates, I mean, I'm not saying every Muslim, but I'm saying Islam as a whole hates the West because they want to take over the West because they want to caliphate, because they want to rule the world, just like we want to rule the world. But we've left God out, so now, whoop, there's a vacuum. Our enemies, so to speak, not as a believer, we're to love others, even if they are enemy. They're coming in. They're taking over. We're allowing other nations to get rid of our borders. You can have it. I don't think it's going to work out too well. The loss of morality, the sense of right and wrong, the simple things, just about being human, we've let go. And yet judgment hasn't come already. It blows my mind. How is this still together? It's barely together because God's letting it be together 
for one last moment of grace, I believe. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its flavor. How shall it be seasoned? Is it then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt preserves, light shines in darkness. Second Peter one nineteen. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That we're lights and God's allowed us to be here in this dark time. But there's a reason why the rapture happens. You know, the world is so wicked, it's gone so far, pretty soon I think, that God cannot spare it from judgment any longer. No matter how many churches are planted, no matter how many believers share the gospel, it's going to be judged. And God is not going to spare it for the sake of a few. And so he takes those few out. And we're going to see that with Lot and his family. You know, there will be tribulation saints, people who come to faith after uh, the rapture while judgment is coming because God is gracious. He doesn't just knock it all out in a fell swoop. He gives seven years for people to turn. But judgment must come and judgment will come. And like Abraham... We must intercede. God's walking on the earth in these last days. He's using His church. He's pouring out His Spirit on His sons and daughters, on young men and old men. He wants to do a work in these last days. But it's not going to be forever. You know, it's good to talk about the end. It's good to say that God wants to use you. But know that time is short. I've heard it said that by people I was shocked to hear from that we need to stop the doom and gloom on Sunday mornings. We need to stop talking because young people are turning away because they feel like they can't do anything for the Lord. On one hand, I get that because you don't want to just be doom and gloom and you don't want to make people feel like there's no hope to be used. But on the other hand, time is short. We need to say there is doom and gloom and we don't have all the time in the world to hang out and create a country club. We have maybe a few years left. God is coming back. Must be busy. But it's business because God wants to work. How do I know? Because he hasn't come back yet that easy that easy father we we pray and we thank you for your just judgment and that you are righteous and holy and that god you call us holy not from what we've done but from what you did at the cross when you took our judgment but god in these last days we pray that you would bring your gospel out that holy spirit you would move and work and draw all men unto you even if they say no even if our work seems ineffective and useless and we feel useless god we know that it's it's not when it's by you so God, by your spirit, do a work. Use us, bless our families, our friends, our co-workers, those people we meet, and let them be ministered to grace all the time. Let our words be seasoned with grace, God. We love you, God. Come soon, we pray. But in that time, uh, would you please uh, bring people to you? In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Amen.